0: Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. The crisis of Governor Andrew Cuomo shows how much the political landscape in New York is changing. If we had not broken Cuomo's cynical deal with the Republicans and the right in the state Senate, the Independent Democratic Conference, the IDC, Andrea Stewart-Cousins would not be the majority leader of the Senate. And she would not be there to hold him to account and demand that he resign. Keep that in mind, keep looking down the road, keep remembering that Andrew Cuomo's political destruction is actually not an end in itself, as tempting as that may be. The goal is to push New York back into the ranks of great progressive states, to rise above the recent years of corruption and cynicism and bring back the legacy of Al Smith and Franklin Roosevelt. You know, we New Yorkers invented the new deal and put it into action first in New York. There isn't any reason why we shouldn't invent the Green New Deal and put it into action first in New York. Well, there actually has been a reason. His name is Andrew Cuomo. Most of you are probably not as immersed in New York politics as I have been for the last several years, bless you. Uh, So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a quick catch up. Governor Cuomo has been rocked by scandal, much of it outright corruption, old school, pay to play scandals. His closest advisor, who he called his brother, Joe Percoco, Went to prison for this, deservedly. He's sitting there right now. Yet Cuomo seemed to float just just out of reach. Maybe things move so fast, or New Yorkers didn't have the time to understand. Maybe it was too complicated. Maybe it was too upstate versus downstate. Or maybe simple graphs just doesn't offend people the way it should. And now Cuomo has two new scandals. And they are about things that are both easy to understand and to be outraged about. To sum it up, if you didn't kill your grandmother at a nursing home, And then lie about it, he was busy hitting on your daughter. In politics, those are the offenses that stick. So Cuomo is desperately trying to save himself. A guy who never cared about fairness or due process is suddenly urging everyone to wait, wait and see what the investigations find. He didn't want the investigations. And now he wants to drag them out. He'll use whatever works. Everything is just a tool to him. He was against the investigations until he wanted the investigations, now hoping to be saved by the pre existing American political condition, the short attention span. So I did say investigations, plural. It never rains until it pours. The first investigation is looking at the deaths in the New York State nursing homes. It isn't entirely clear whether the government's ac- governor's actions at the height of the pandemic made the death toll worse, but it is entirely clear that when his actions were criticized, he lied to make the death toll look smaller. This is major malfeasance to say nothing of hypocrisy on steroids. This was Mr. Follow the science, Governor. Give the people the facts, manipulating the data to make himself look better, or at least less bad. In the middle of that scandal, six women have now come forward to describe the governor's miscreant come The Attorney General, Tish James, Letitia James, has set up an investigation of that. Bullying and harassment are basic behaviors of Andrew Cuomo, doesn't matter what sex you are. What this adds is sexual suggestiveness when the harassment involved younger women, most of them on his staff. Either of these scandals could on their own justify his removal from office. But as often as the case in politics and is always the case in New York politics, it is important to ask what's really going on here? Or at least what else is really going on here? What's the subtext? This is budget time in Albany. It is a tense time when everyone tries to leverage all of their advantages. Well, the political map has changed and is continuing to change. The IDC is out, so Andrew Cuomo can't use them as a buffer against progressives, against downstate Democrats. Progressives have more real, real power than at any time in years. And the neoliberal governor has less. He's weakened. His approval ratings are shockingly low. We are already hearing suggestions for how this new dynamic may be used to further progressive causes. A wealth tax or a billionaire's tax, for example. Cuomo has outright opposed this. He says he is worried that, you know, the billionaires will leave, you know, and go somewhere where there's lower taxes. Although, if I were him, i might be more worried that they will leave out of embarrassment for being in the same state as Andrew Cuomo. But in any case, a weakened governor may not have the clout to stop the newly powerful state Senate Democrats from imposing this tax. Cuomo is hoping this will create the rationale for keeping him on as governor, a trade-off. You can have the wealth tax and I can keep hitting on my staff or something like that. So the wealth tax could save him, but what could make him resign? Honestly, at this point, the only way I can see him stepping, stepping down is if more women come out, worse stories, and Biden speaks out. The leadership of both the assembly and the Senate have called for his resignation among dozens of other lawmakers. He's garnered a list of elected women to respect attorney general James's investigation and stop calling for his resignation. It's distraction. This is New York politics where Albany and scandal go hand in hand. So stay tuned. Something tells me that this is just gonna start to heat up. But in the meantime, we have a wonderful show today. The discussion of Andrew Cuomo will be front and center because Janice Dean is our very special guest. She is the senior meteorologist at Fox News and she led the outcry against Cuomo's handling of the nursing home safety during the pandemic. She was breaking it open. Also, Armand Aviram is here with Jordan Zacharin uh, to discuss who is being left behind as we build back better. And why is the Lincoln Project such a hot mess? And my favorite, did you know that before she took on the British royal family, Meghan Markle was calling out corporate America for sexism when she was a child? We have that and much more for you. Uh, Stick around right after this break. We'll be here with Janice Dean. Alright, guys you know i'm really into cbd um, now i was not before until i tried sunset lake cbd uh, it is a farm-owned company that ships craft cbd products directly from their farm in vermont to your door sunset lake cbd has something for everyone they offer tinctures which i just ran out of last night and have to buy more of gummies solves and coffee designed to help with stress, aches and pains. It was originally a dairy farm. Uh, It was actually the Ben & Jerry's dairy farm in Vermont and they decided to diversify and grow premium hemp. Uh, Customers, all customers support sustainable agriculture that enhances rural communities and creates meaningful employment in the communities. Their minimum wages Oh, $15 an hour because they're ethical and employees own the majority of their company and they support independent media like our show, the Nomi Key Show, the David Pakman show and, you know, those guys over at the Majority Report, those people. Um, But seriously, I, you know, Dorsey, I know you've been using uh, the CBD CBD products. I'm a big fan of the gummies. I ate a few too many at once. Doesn't get you high or anything. It just like really mellows you out. Um, But... You know this, Dorsey. I get migraines, and I also had a back injury a few days ago uh, that I was trying to work through. And I put the tincture in in my tea, and it it was instead of using like ibuprofen or painkillers or something, um, it made a huge difference, huge huge difference with my back. I don't know. What what do you like?
1: I'm out of my tincture too. Almost. I think I have a couple of drops in there, but yeah, the tincture is the way to go when it comes to like loosening up the back or whatever. I went out to play some, some hoops on a nice day the other day for the first time in a long time. And I was pretty stiff. And, uh, afterwards, instead of, you know, down some Advil, just decided to get the rest of the tincture out of the way. And it just like, it makes a world of difference to loosen you up a bit after, uh, like a lot of, working out a lot of exercising that's that's what uh, it seems to be working the best on me and for sleep i love to have oh, yeah the sleep is great oh my god right before bed and it just kind of mellows you out and you know i don't know anytime i have a little bit of anxiety sometimes if i'm a little stressed about the show or something i'll have a gummy before the show and just kind of like
0: right, <laughs> that's what it is really worry about
1: that <laughs> yeah i'm just like oh, don't worry about that not a big deal yeah.
0: The fudge. That's the, I think my mom has been eating the fudge like crazy. It's, it's, it's really, it's a great product. I used to, when the CBD thing started, the trend started, I bought CBD and I just didn't feel like it was making a difference. I would get like, you know, lotions and tinctures. And this is not only does it taste better, the tincture, I was like a little afraid of at first. It has like a really nice flavor, very light flavor. Um, and I was, I met up with my friend uh, who was in town and she was jet lagged. And so I gave her some of the tincture and she was like, oh my God, it was the most amazing sleep she's had in years. So listen, we're fans. <laughs> you got to go check it out. Um, but you can go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the promo code NOMI, N O M I, for 20% off of your entire order. Sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code NOMI, N O M I. Make sure to support. They're good people, they're progressive, they support independent media. We love Sunset Lake CBD. Welcome back to the no Key Show. This is our special New York Cuomo Day. I think we're doing this once a week now. Uh, Janice Dean is the senior meteorologist for Fox News, and she is the author of Mostly Sunny and Make Your Own Sunshine. I love that. It's so positive too. It's Hi, like need right now. Hi, Janice. How are you? It's been a Good while. How are you? I know it's nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. So I'm um I I, I really like I have to hand it to you. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Cuomo has had so many scandals, very serious scandals over the last you know decade, and and more actually, and uh, and they don't seem to stick. So somehow you were able. You you did not let down. You kept pushing uh, around this nursing home scandal, which hit you you closely. Um, but wh- I, I just want to start off with wh- why. Why do you think it's sticking right now? I mean, he's like Teflon. Hmm.
2: That's a good question. Uh, A lot of lawmakers and reporters in Albany called him the Terminator when I first started speaking against him, saying, you know, good (laughs) luck. Good luck with that. Um, I think there's enough people standing up now that others feel safe. I feel like, you know, the fact that we've been uh, shouting for 10 months now about the nursing homes And now we have brave women standing up about his harassment and treatment. And, you know, I have heard from many people that he has been, you know, this has been his MO from day one just a bully, Mm -hmm. somebody who, um, you know, exerts his power over people, wants them to feel small. Uh, So it's all part of the same package, you know? And I think people are starting to finally feel there's a safe place to stand up and say, we're not gonna take this anymore. Hmm.
0: So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, your connection to this story, this nursing home scandal. Um, you, your two, two members of your family uh, passed away in nursing homes in New York. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm looking over here cause I think one of my kids just, hi, I'm doing a live interview. <laughs> so okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> Okay. Okay. It's the norm. We got it. <laughs> We're used to, oh remember God. the old days, those moments would go viral and now it's like everybody's day.
2: <laughs> and I said, I'm like, Hey, I'm doing this interview on TV and don't come downstairs and hi, hi mom. How's it going? I get dogs. So like, me. It, it's, it's all good. <laughs> um, okay. So yes. Uh, we lost my husband's parents. Uh, they were in separate elder care facilities. We lost uh, his dad first in late March. We didn't even know he was ill. And we were in quarantine. We couldn't see him. Uh, he was more sort of advanced with his health conditions than my mother-in-law. And he was in a nursing home rehab to get him in better health to join my mother in law and the assisted living residents. So that was the plan. Uh, we had a place close to us on Long Island, and they weren't there for very long either. This is something, a decision my husband struggled with with his sister in law for, you know, a, at least a year. Um, Their health was failing them. We tried to bring AIDS into their four-story walk up in Brooklyn that was rent-controlled, and it just wasn't working. So we put him in the the nursing home rehab to get him in better shape, and his mom was in the assisted living residence, which she saw, by the way, and agreed to and liked it and knew that they were going to take care of her. Um, And then we got a call uh, late March on the weekend, uh, and the person on the phone said, your your father-in-law is not feeling well. Um, and then three hours later, we got a call saying he was dead. We <gasps> didn't know he had COVID, didn't know he was sick, didn't know he was running a fever. Oh um, we didn't even know that he had died of COVID until after we saw the death certificate.
0: And, and he, were there other people in the facility that also had COVID? And, I and- so, yes. Yeah, I mean, oh. we still don't know all the
2: answers. We've tried to get them, but the nursing home hangs up on us. So, what? Yeah. My, my sister-in-law has been very active in trying to get answers, but oh my God. yeah, uh, we did. I mean, there was a red flag after the fact, when I remember getting a phone call, my husband getting a phone call saying that they were going to move his dad to another floor mm. to, so that they could bring more people in, but they never told us mm. they could potentially be infected patients. So, you're saying. yeah. So, you know, after he died, and I'm seeing all of these news reports about the, putting the infected patients into nursing homes and then the cover up of the numbers. My mother in law died two, about two weeks later around Easter, this, this time last year. My husband had to tell her that her husband had died. Uh, and she got sick in her assisted living facility um, and was transported to the hospital and died in the hospital. And that was around Easter. Um, so we weren't going to be vocal about this. My husband's a private person. He is, uh, you know, the last thing he wants is any kind of attention on him or his family, but because we weren't seeing the reports in the news and instead we were seeing the pandemic prints on television, uh, being, you know, um, crowned like the best thing ever, uh, you know, when it comes to the pandemic and I saw the reports about the COVID patients and his mandate for 46 days being put into nursing homes. And I saw the reports about not counting those that died in the hospital. And then I saw him see on CNN with his brother um, joking around and laughing. And that was kind of the last straw. When I saw the big cotton swab interview with him and his brother joking around, that's when I said, it's time. It's time to tell my story uh, because nobody, nobody is is going to ask him anything
0: when your mother-in-law passed away was it connected had do you have any sense of where she where she was it just in the facility is that how prevalent this was that every um elder care nursing home facility uh was just unfortunately covid was spreading yeah
2: i don't i don't know what happened with my mother-in-law she did complain that people were coming in and out not washing their hands and that kind of thing um but i'll never we'll never know
0: yeah. we'll never know Unbelievable. So, so when um, when this this all happened, and and you were seeking answers, uh, it, was there any sense of like the numbers not being accurate? I mean, where did yes. it go from realizing? Because because you remember when we were all watching TV. I, I mean, I live in Queens. There were the hospitals were were jam packed. There were uh, trucks on the street, you know, holding bodies in air condition air conditioned trucks. Um, so it was it was it was almost too difficult to process what was just what was happening, you know, to everybody in New York, um and everywhere, uh, to some very unique cover up. And like at what point did you realize that what was being projected in the in the public was not actually was happening in the nursing home and elder elder care facilities? Mid
2: May, when okay. the, the Daily Caller was the mm-hmm. first to report the fact that they were not counting those that died in the hospital. How did I they know? How did they know? They, they did their own investigative reporting that, that, uh, that the governor and his health department were not counting those that died in the hospital. And, and then there were um, press conferences that the governor would have, and th- he was questioned on that. Um, and you know, he sort of brushed it off. Uh, and for me, it's like, well, if there's a car crash on the highway and the person dies in the hospital, is it a hospital death and it's not a car crash? You know, that's that's right. what they were essentially doing. So yeah. I remember seeing that report. And then from there, I started seeing more reports uh, from the AP and there were, you know, Albany reporters were doing this. Um, and then when I went and did my first interview on television, I, I did talk about that, that my mother-in-law's death does not count because she
0: died in the hospital. Interesting, wow. So when you started speaking out, um- did you demand that Cuomo respond to you? Was there any sort of interaction with the administration?
2: Uh, early on, I got an email from a friend who knows the family very well. I don't want to give out the name who it was because it'll it'll you'll you'll be like, oh, they know him well. <laughs> uh, and and their email said, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. This is you know this is uh, an incredible fight that you're fighting uh, and watch your back. Whoa. Watch your back.
0: Mm -hmm. Not as, not as a threat from them, but more like this is what you're going to expect. This is what you're going to, yeah,
2: this is what you're going to, uh, deal with. Um, so, and then, um, when I would do interviews, uh, they would always, you know, Fox would always ask for a response from the governor's office and Richard as a party, a couple of times said, well, Yes, his spokesperson would say. Pleasant guy. <laughs> oh, oh, we could have a whole show on that. Uh, he he would come back with, well, ask her the, where they died and the date that they died. Like, I don't believe you. Give me some proof.
1: Wow.
2: Sort of, let me see their death certificates. So that he said that a couple of times. And then... Um, When I think the Daily Mail did a story and asked for a response, he said, well, the last I checked, she's not a credible source on anything except maybe the weather.
0: Oh, my goodness. So, no. So, you don't have that experience. You can't share your side of your personal story at all and and call for an investigation anyway. Interesting. Um, So, has there been pushback? I mean, have they done anything other than, uh, you know, the typical berating (laughs) The typical berating and,
2: you know, I've just, I've heard enough stories from other people. Ron Kim and I know each other. uh, We've known each other for many months now. Mm -hmm. I was actually supposed to speak uh, via Zoom in Albany when they had the nursing home hearings in August. Mm -hmm. I I was supposed to speak and tell my family story I was supposed to get an invite on the Friday beforehand. It never came. And then I inquired as to why suddenly I wasn't getting an invitation. And they told me that they were, uh, the democratic lawmakers were uncomfortable with my appearance, with uh, uncomfortable with my story. Um, and so I, you know, I wrote about that. I wrote an op-ed about that. Why can't I tell my story? Uh, I am a person who has dealt with, um, A tremendous loss and and two family members in nursing homes and I want my voice heard Mm -hmm. um and they tried to sort of make up for it the Republican lawmakers had a makeshift Zoom session a a week or so after that and Ron Kim was the only Democrat that showed up to to hear my story so um you know he and I have become close that way and he had an uncle that died in a nursing home and I know he's talked to you um, so, you know, he, and he's been incredibly brave and, and stood up to this governor. Um, and, and I think it's pretty well known what he's like and that this has kind of been his MO from the very beginning.
0: Um, it's interesting that you say that because, so, so now there's this dynamic, uh, in, in that August meeting you were talking about, it was the meeting where Melissa DeRosa, uh, his, uh, second, she's arguably the second most powerful person in the state, not elected. Um, But she, she replaced Joe Prococo, the guy who's in prison, just Mm -hmm. to wrap it around. Uh, But Melissa DeRosa and her father's, her parents are lobbyists. Um, So Melissa, you know, sort of spoke freely about uh, the numbers. And that's, you know, when the story broke open, broke open. Um, But that was in August. And, and there was this period where like nothing seemed it was just you out there banging the drum, going to the press, doing courageously doing this. What was it about it coming out recently from that meeting in August? Like were there dynamics at play? I mean, I'm also surprised like the Republicans didn't jump on board with some of the Democrats. Mm -hmm. They were trying.
2: I think there were some people that were were trying. Um, I I almost did give up. It was in December and they're just I, I, there's only so many op-eds I can write by myself. You know There's yeah. only so many times I can go on Fox and Friends or Tucker Carlson and, and tell my story. And I remember I got a tip from uh, a, uh, an official at the DOJ. Um, because, and I thought to myself, well, wow. I, I'm not an investigative reporter, but I am going to write sort of the opus of op-eds, uh, you know, from the very beginning of how this happened to where we are now with this piece of information that I got from a senior uh, DOJ official, which was, he told me on, you know, on the record that they had not received any information from the Cuomo administration from October. So basically the DOJ was investigating Cuomo and they weren't giving them any information. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use that piece of information to write this op-ed and then Christmas came and I wrote it and then I published it in January. And I said to my husband, I said, this is probably the last thing I'm going to write because I don't think anything's going to happen to this governor. Hmm. Um, And then the Tish James uh, report came out and that was sort of, that was like, oh my goodness, the, you know, And her conducting her own investigation and finding out that the numbers were, you know, 60 percent less Mm -hmm. than what was what was uh, thought to be the real number. So the fact that she released that a Democrat uh, and a 76 pager of they're not telling the real uh, facts when it comes to the numbers and the March 25th order. Might have had something to do with the fact that we had close to fifteen thousand deaths.
0: Wow. and And as of today, do we have a sense, a more accurate sense of of how many deaths there have been in, in nursing facilities? Well, it
2: you know it went from six thousand, which was what the governor was saying for months, you know, when he was going on his uh, book, book tour. Right. Um, he was using false information that whole way through. Like they would, if they, if he was asked the nursing home question, he would say, "Oh, well, we're forty-fifth out of fifty states when it comes to the nursing homes." Like he was clearly using that false data to make himself look better, and that's mm-hmm. why I say his book should be used in a court of law because it can use it can be used against him. Um, but uh, you know, the fact that she issued that. And now the numbers I believe that they've released are over 15,000 dead. Jeez. I actually think it's more. I think
0: it's it more. Probably, yeah. Um, now, I mean, now it happens. So there are these two investigations in, in Attorney General uh, Tish James's office, one in, involving sexual, sexual misconduct. Um, but you mentioned the DOJ, is, is that going somewhere? Is there anything else uh, at play? That's a good
2: question, and that was one of the one of my main reasons for writing the op ed in January was to sort of say, please don't let this be brushed under the rug with this new administration. You know, please don't do that. I'm not sure. The last I heard, I think Jen Psaki mentioned that they were kind of not really paying attention to it, but that was before you know the dam broke on all the other stuff. <laughs> so I think they should probably continue that DOJ investigation. Now we have a federal investigation uh, in Brooklyn that's going on, and an FBI investigation uh, in New York. So two of the two investigations that are based in New York State,
0: and they're all rooted in this
2: this scandal in particular. The, yes, the nursing home scandal. Yep, and the fact that the governor has lawyered up for nursing homes and not the other stuff, you know, leads me to believe that the you know the nursing home issue is a big deal, and he needs he needs to you know. Uh, make sure that he has a, a lawyer.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so is, that's interesting. W- what is the FBI's angle on this and how is it different than the other investigations? Well, I think FBI is probably
2: more criminal, yeah. criminal behavior. I'm not, an, uh, you know, I'm not, this is not my wheelhouse, but I'm assuming that the FBI is probably more criminal. And if there was uh, obstruction of justice, if there were, you know, if there was really criminal behavior going on, like maybe the fact that what I've heard, you know, you mentioned hospital lobbyists, there have been reporting that instead of basing his decision to put COVID positive patients into nursing homes on science, he was basing it on hospital lobbyists and and people in the hospital industry saying, um, You know, we can't, we don't want these patients in our hospital. They're not, you know, they're not top paying with the Medicaid and Mm. Medicare world. And uh, that there might be a money exchange between hospitals and nursing homes. I mean, if you, and this is what Ron Kim has kind of been, you know, flagging is the fact that there was blanket immunity placed on for nursing homes just a few days after that mandate. Why did he give blanket immunity after that, you know, that uh, I call it a death warrant? Um, So, and, There might be a a monetary transaction between, you know, putting patients into nursing homes. I heard that they got double the amount uh, if the nursing homes took them. So while nursing homes, a lot of them were raising the alarm saying, we can't take these patients. We can't. We just physically can't. Um, You know, if you look at the, at the language of the March 25th order, they kind of didn't have a choice and they couldn't test them beforehand. You know, they couldn't discriminate. They couldn't discriminate right. against uh, the patients. They could not um, test them uh, to see if they had COVID or not.
0: Unbelievable. It is. Uh, Janice, I, I don't know where this is going to go in the next few weeks, days, we have no idea, but um, is there anything that you wish would still be looked into or that hasn't been addressed involving this crisis? They have to keep on the nursing home issues. I know that
2: the other stuff is salacious and no woman should ever be put in a position of um, you know, being harassed. Mm-hmm. And it's part of him. It's part of what he's all about. He's about power and intimidation. And, and I believe these p- women. I believe them. Um, but it's getting headlines, obviously. And I, I've always said, whatever makes him resign, I don't think he's going to resign, but... Um, whatever puts pressure on him, I'm good with, but don't forget the 15,000 plus seniors that died and the fact that we know that they covered up the numbers, like that in
0: itself, that's that's criminal. Right. It's criminal, you're right. Um... We'll see. <laughs> I don't think he'll resign either unless unless Biden speaks up. I think that's, that's the only w- thing. Yes, I agree. I agree. If, if Biden finally
2: says something like, hey, probably a wise idea to do that, but I think
0: it'll be like, he'll be kicking and screaming all the way down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing how many people have spoken up now. Uh, leadership, assembly leadership, Senate leadership, Dozens and dozens of senators, state senators, uh, you know, local lawmakers in New York City, organizations, allies. Tish James, who you know, he basically recruited to BAG. Of course, talk about because <laughs> he wanted to get back at Zephyr Teachout. I mean, it's amazing to see. Right. I. I, I mean, I. It's going to
2: be interesting to see all the puzzle pieces come together. Right. I mean, let's see. I, Wow. I mean, there is a story here. It's an incredible one. Um, and it's, it, you know, a lot of it would be Pulitzer Prize winning journalism. I really believe that if if people really dig into why this happened and why there was a cover up. Um, I think, you know, it will go down as one of the biggest scandals, certainly in New York State, ind- ind- um, New York State history, but also I think, you know, in the U.S. I think this is just yeah. unprecedented. And plus, and you know, there are- <laughs> New there, York has a lot of this. <laughs> of course, I know I'm learning that. I'm learning that it's just <laughs> mind blowing what has been happening in, in New York state for all of these years. But one other part of this is other law, um, other governors had right. almost the identical mandate as Cuomo. Uh, Whitmer in Michigan, uh, Wolf in Pennsylvania, hmm. New Jersey's Murphy, and even Newsom had almost identical mandates to put COVID positive patients in nursing homes. So there's also the puzzle pieces there. Why, why did they do that?
0: It's such a weird decision to make, uh, yes. Um, thank you for, for speaking out and, and not giving up and I mm. uh, hope to have you back on soon so we can discuss what happens post. <laughs> yeah, post-pomo. I know,
2: right? And maybe we'll have a cocktail at some point
0: when all this is over. <laughs> in person I'm I'm down for that Okay, hopefully good. it'll be nice outside that's right Janice thank you so much for everything and we'll see you again soon. thank Thanks. you for your interest all right we will be right back with our amazing panel we have um, Armand of Avarum who I know very well but I can't say his name uh, and Jordan Zachary here to talk about today's news including a little Meghan Markle stuff because um listen there's a story here it's much bigger than Meghan Markle it's what it represents so stick around it's gonna be a good one Right, welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. We have an amazing panel for the first time ever, but many years of friendship. Uh, Armand Armand Viram is here. Uh, he was the senior, he is a senior media producer for Bernie Sanders. You know that guy, Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, he was also over at Now This. I think that's how we initially met years ago on the campaign trail. And Jordan Zacharin, he runs the Progressives Everywhere newsletter. Thank you guys for joining today.
3: Happy to be here. Yeah, same
0: All right. Here. So you're gonna have to bear with me because I'm one of, I think everyone's fascinated, but I'm really fascinated with this Meghan Markle thing for a lot of reasons. I think it represents uh, they're reflecting institutional failures, and we're seeing it like out in the open, just how bad. It, it's just confirming a lot of what we've we've felt is still there, uh, president in, in the institution. To see them, you know, just just how aggressive they were against her. Um, but I mean, that's happening here in different ways too. But uh, I found this clip today, which I don't know what it says, but I just feel like we need to talk about it. Uh, let's play the clip of Meghan Merkel when she was younger. My name's Meghan Markle, I'm 12 years old. Commercials, they do say a lot of things that most people don't even notice. Mostly like laundry and dishwashing commercials. When we first saw the commercial, I knew something to be done because I was furious. Dear sir, last week at my school we decided to watch the news for social studies while through the channels we saw a commercial for the new ivory clear dishwashing liquid in the commercial they said women are battling grease meaning only women do dishes when i heard this the boys in my class started saying yeah that's where women belong
1: in the kitchen it makes me feel like they're going to grow up thinking that girls are less than them you know like boys are better than girls so I was
0: wondering if you would be able to change your commercial to people all over America. Thank you, Meghan
3: Markle. Three months after Meghan wrote to the president of the company, Procter and Gamble changed the commercial.
0: I know it's small. I know you guys are all like, come on, know me," but what do you guys, this is clearly hitting a nerve with folks. I mean, she's, she's talked about her union membership and how she would have been protected. Um, Jordan, I know you have some thoughts because you write about this stuff all the time. So,
4: um, you know, I think like it's clear that she was not someone who wanted to. I mean, I don't know her, you know, I'm, uh, you but don't. I, hopefully I, you know, would get along with her better than Piers Morgan. But, uh, you know, it's clear that she did not want to marry in. She's not someone who was looking to marry into, I guess, a family that was so obsessed with state traditions. And uh, what is this? They have a queen, but clearly uh, roles that are not really able to be, um, uh, left behind i mean you look at what happened with even princess diana just the small amounts of freedom she she wanted was not uh seemed to not be permitted so i think that americans and they're like uh, you know our, our interest in freedom and our interest in uh you know being able to stick it to the the rich i think people are uh kind of rallying around her even in addition to the stuff that you know whether it's mental health whether it's uh you know her talking about a suicidal ideation talking about the the race of her baby i think that you know we're in a very populist moment and literally the ultimate sign of the ultimate, I guess, symbol of wealth, the British monarchy, uh, being racist and awful to an American woman is going to piss off a whole lot of people unless they're also racist and hate women.
0: And, and not to mention that they are they have no problem defending um, uh, Prince, Prince Andrew, Andrew, the pedophile. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, Armand, I mean, this to me, it's just a metaphor for the like you 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 have a woman of color, you you know, who came from a working class background, you know, yeah, she's an actress, yeah, she's rich now, whatever. Um, but she, you know, sometimes, I mean, even, even Marx talked about this, sometimes you needed the wealthy educated person to shine a light on the institutions because they have made p- perhaps more connection to the institution. It's almost like they have to betray that institution to shine a light on just how bad we all knew it was. But the fact that like, you know, when she married uh, Prince Harry, like, everybody was praising, oh, look at the, the monarchy is changing, they're not racist anymore, they're anti-colonial, whatever the bullshit was. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts? Is it like the Yeah, I mean, no. <laughs> I,
3: I largely agree with, with, uh, with your take on it. I, I think it's interesting to see it from the British point of view as well, where race seems to be an issue in our country that is not as pervasive as it is over there on the other side. And I get where some of them are coming from, where they're seeing this as americans trying to impose what we're talking about here onto their country um and it's maybe not a conversation they're ready to have at the moment shocked
0: okay um i want to move on to some other stuff because uh we you know the, the covid relief bill um $1.9 1.9 trillion dollars, the stimulus package that was just passed. Uh, you know, it addresses a lot of of injustices. We have to give a little bit of credit there. Obviously, it doesn't touch on the $15 minimum wage, uh, but it is m- remarkably better than what uh, Donald Trump put forward. You know, to support his his billionaires. With that being said, those that are being left off. Let's uh let's show that that clip real quick. So the recovery. Let's keep that up on screen. This is the New York Times reporting. The U.S. economy has greatly improved from the worst months of job loss last spring, but millions of people are still out of work. The recovery has left some groups further behind than others. Here's a look at what the data shows. Um, definitely women, <laughs> without a doubt. Uh, it's it, you know I think that most of us probably aren't shocked by these numbers, but and they're they're probably higher. Um, than what is being reported for for many reasons, and it doesn't necessarily address the the work that has been forced on primarily women. Um, on top of it, you know, given at home work, having to leave their jobs, uh, take care of kids, etc. But I mean, what do you think at this point will move Joe Biden? Because much more needs to happen to address that. Um, Armand, I mean, you you work in the senator's office how 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 does a senator how does senator sanders you know um, without giving away his secrets what is what is his like strategy to like move the bidens just the the biden administration just doesn't f- i don't know like it's like they're disconnected from reality or something
3: yeah i mean we're actually going through an interesting time now because we have to you know bernie really wants to get out there and sell the stimulus bill And just from my point of view as someone who makes his videos for social media, it's not really gaining much traction, you know, in terms of the tweets we're putting out and the videos we're putting out. And, you know, just in terms of what my job is, my job is to try to get videos out there that tout the progressive things that are in the bill. No one seems to be paying attention. I mean, we're seeing media viewership across the board plummeting. I think there was an Axios article this morning that said uh, viewership in terms of politics is, gone down 28% since Biden has been elected. So we're seeing people really, really check out, uh, in terms of the mass layoffs that we're seeing at Huffington post and other outlets. Uh, I think corporate media viewership is really tanking across the board. So I don't know what that says. I think people are checking out a little bit. I think people are really exhausted by the last four years, you know, in terms of the pandemic as well, uh, in terms of the strategy, you know, um, Uh, You know, I I, I was listening to a New York Times Daily podcast yesterday and they did an episode on the child allowance, which seems to me, if you're going to point to one progressive thing in the legislation, that's definitely the most progressive in terms of framing it as a universal benefit, which is something unheard of in America, you know, much more akin to a European style uh, social safety net. Um, so I think we need to point to that success as a way to build on that and, and, you know, get the public used to what a universal benefit can bring to society and then make the argument that, okay, you like that universal benefit, here's the argument for Medicare for all and all these other other parts of the progressive agenda. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenge. You know, I don't think anyone is fooling themselves into believing that Biden is a progressive. He's not. He's going to, you know, throw some bones to the progressive people here and there but his administration is largely the same same old with maybe you know a few exceptions around the edges. Um, so the battle continues the struggle continues. Jordan, what's it going to take?
4: Uh, Well, let me, I'll have to talk to Joe and give him a call. But I think the thing about uh, this bill is that it was kind of like, it's like you're patching a hole in a roof, right? I mean, there was a lot of great things, like Armand said, uh, child tax credit and, you know, bailouts for pensions, even for all these union workers who, you know, were about 10 million union workers going to be able to retire in a way they couldn't before possibly. So I think there's a lot of great stuff in here, but I think it was the the issue of one the checks, right? They're lower than people thought and the other threshold's lower. And I think that taking out the minimum wage also really uh, took the wind out of the sails, right? So those were like like these are policies that when, when Biden ran or when Democrats were running, they weren't talking about a uh, $1,400 check, which is great. I'm so glad people are getting it. I think that the government should be getting people more money. I think that people should be getting child tax credits every year, checks should be monthly, but you know, these are not like signature policies, you know? And I think like Armand said that people generally are paying less attention. I think Trump was like cocaine for everybody, you know, like it was this magnet. Uh, and so clearly they're gonna lose, you know, they're gonna pay lots of attention. I think the fact that one, we're not going for these big policies that were promised yet. And two, this idea that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are going to block everything, it's almost like, all right, well, wake me up when that ends, you know? And so I think that people may not have the faith in Democrats at this moment to really get psyched up because why would they want to be fooled? Or, you know, these things that are passing, well, good. Again, it's like patching a hole in the roof. And so I think that, you know, putting these things forward like a pro act, right? Putting that sort of stuff forward and pressuring Democrats, I think like making people activists and like, you know, getting them active, I think could be helpful.
0: Um, speaking of the PRO Act, let's, let's play this clip of Congressman Tim Ryan losing his mind because. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to it. Let's play the clip.
3: <laughs> Heaven forbid we pass something that's going to help the damn workers in the United States of America. Heaven forbid. We tilt the balance that has been going in the wrong direction for 50 years. We talk about pensions, you complain. We talk about the minimum wage increase, you complain. We talk about giving them the right to organize, you complain. But if we were passing a tax cut here, you'd be all getting in line to vote yes for it. Now stop talking about Dr. Seuss and start working with us on behalf of the American workers. I yield back the balance of my time.
0: this is fascinating. Uh, Tim Ryan is is from Ohio. He's a congressman from Ohio, running for Senate right now uh, in Ohio. Or Has he announced? I think he's announced, right? I think that was his announcement. <laughs> I think he has announced. I think he. Okay. I'm on his email list. Um, he does. He does have a good relationship with unions. Uh, with that being said, you know, you might recall he challenged Nancy Pelosi for her speakership a, a few years ago. Um, He's not like the most progressive guy, <laughs> like just, just for folks to have a full, but but, but this is about the PRO Act. And, uh, you know, Jordan, you mentioned the PRO Act, which uh, was passed yesterday. It's the most significant expansion of labor rights right since the, the New Deal. The vote was 225 to 206. Five Republicans uh, joined Democrats in favor of the bill, which is significant. But it kind of shows you, right? Like- why are we having debates over these issues? If at the end of the day, when you sit down with a vote, I mean, everything should be framed through the lens of labor now.
3: Yeah. I mean, we were seeing some strong uh, economic populist energy there from Tim Ryan, which I think is great to see from I think the Democratic Party generally could use more of that type of energy. Um, if you're going to fight the Republicans, you know, it's best to use some of the tactics that work for them and apply them to our side. And I think that kind of bombacity is helpful to get the message across. Um, that being said, I mean, Tim Ryan is against Medicare for all. I I mean, I just recall the moment of Bernie telling him that he wrote the damn bill and seeing Tim Ryan's face. So, um, but I forgot about that. (laughs) That being said, I think the best thing that progressives can do over the next four years under Biden is to try to rebuild the trade union movement. So we're in a position to, you know, make more demands, you know, the only way we're going to be able to do that is with collective power. Um, and also I think he did a good job of putting Republicans, on the spot there. I mean, going back to the stimulus package, what the, I think the message that Bernie is trying to get across now is like, this is the first time that legislation has been written at least somewhat with the working people's interests in mind and not just corporations, which but the bar has been set really low. So we're achieving something by, you know, going above that bar, obviously not far enough, but if we can frame it as the Republicans really turning their back on working people, you know, and they're going to focus their energy more on the culture war stuff, which may be successful for them in the long run, depending on how things go over the next four years. But I think sticking with economic populist message is a winning strategy for for anyone, you know, regardless of party.
0: You're saying that the culture war stuff will, uh, if if the Democrats don't focus on labor or do focus on labor, the culture stuff could still win out.
3: I mean, I think overall the country, if you look at it in terms of polling and data, is economically progressive they support everything on the progressive agenda but culturally is still very divided you know and spending all your political capital on those issues that don't add and you know bring anything to people's pocketbooks you know it's not not always politically advantageous I would say.
0: Jordan what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think this, I I agree. The social issues with, with Republicans and conservatives and Fox News that they're focusing on now, like unless you were to really like sit down and try to understand it. I mean, we're talking about like, is Lola Bunny sexy or can Pepe LePew be in Space Jam? You know, like <laughs> these are not issues that are like, I mean, they're doing the, I guess the transgender and sports thing. But other than that, they're like really weird Twitter arcane issues. Like these are the things yeah. that like Reddit should be arguing about, not people on the Senate floor or people, you know, on Fox News. And so- getting involved in that is just stupid because I think that I don't know how many people really care about Pepe Le Pew. I mean, I punched a hole in my wall when I found out he wouldn't be in the movie, but you know, that's, that's just me. Um, I, I agree that like, you know, Dick Durbin said that they were going to bring a bunch of stuff on the floor and have Republicans block it and hopefully build up some you know, build up some uh, support for Joe, you know Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema seeing the difficulty. So, I think it's going to be a slow build. But I think that the more and more that Republicans want to block things, then you know, Democrats, I think at the very least are going to try and you know pass. They will drop a filibuster, do a speaking filibuster for voting rights. I think that's you know existential. Otherwise, they might not even rather they shouldn't even bother doing anything because they'll be out of office forever. Um, exactly. I think they'll probably, you know, I don't know about the pro act. It's hard for me to say. Armand could could do a better job with that, but I think that they will make progress. I think that some things will pass. I don't know how much those things will be like populist enough to get continue to get people support, but I think there will be some progress, um, and hopefully justice for Pepe.
0: And if anything, I mean, someone could just cut an ad being like, well, your lawmaker was upset about canceling Pepe. Uh, you didn't receive your $2,000 check. You didn't, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, if, if Democrats had a spine, that's what they should be doing. Uh, they should be doing it now. But, you know, who needs, who needs uh, Republicans when, even though they got five votes from the Republicans, when you have Henry Quaylar, a Democrat, voting against the PRO Act?
4: So close to beating him last time, too.
0: <laughs> Hopefully next time. Okay. Uh, real quick before we wrap up. Huffington Post big layoffs. Armand, you mentioned this. Uh, this is just 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 a gut punch to to media. Uh, the Huffington Post union they unionized as many other newsrooms have recently. Today we learned that 33 of our unit members, nearly 30 percent of our unit, are being laid off. Our union statement: We are devastated and infuriated, particularly after an exhausting year of covering a pandemic and working from home. Uh, <sighs> I mean, we're all old enough to remember 10 years ago when the first round of of after the economic collapse, uh, the media world's just just like newspapers shuttered. I think like thousands of newspapers across the country, local papers, uh, state house reporters, investigative reporters don't really exist anymore. Um, And in exchange, we got new media like Huffington Post, which built their business off of like free bloggers like myself. I used to do that. (laughs) I never thought to ask for money. It was like, just an honor being on the Huffington Post page. But later it turned into a media company, a very well-funded media company. Um, Armand, you work in this, but you worked in at now this. I mean, what,
3: right.
0: where, where do we go from here if this is?
3: Well, I mean, what we're finding is that a lot of these media outlets that really built their brand over the last four years of, of just being anti-Trump hysteria, you know, they have to f- pivot and they're not, there's nowhere for them to pivot to. Um, I saw in the Axios article, like in the month of February during Trump's president, he commanded close to 5,000 minutes of coverage. Meanwhile, Biden has gotten like 1,800, like less than half. Um, So they have a huge problem on their hands. Um, Even for us, I mean, I'm lucky that I don't work for a corporation. You know, I work for the senator, but even so, you know, I'm finding that my, you know, I used to get millions of views, you know, sometimes 5, 10, 15 million views on a video but now that was under the trump you know where you had a clear villain to to kind of direct all your anger towards and that's just not around anymore we're gonna i think we're gonna see tremendous amount of layoffs going forward
0: and i'm sure fox news will be doing great and tucker carlson and the daily caller and all these right-wing publications are gonna be uh busy talking about like Hunter Biden or whatever, Pepe something. Uh, Jordan, yeah. I mean, you also come from me. All, all of us have a little bit of that media background. Yeah. We're all
4: survivors. No, I um I worked for at HuffPost. I spent a couple of years there and that was like kind of my big break. And so I know a lot of people got laid off. And yeah. the thing was, when we were there, you know, I was like at a college, a few years out of college and like people were working for cheap, you know, maybe not for oh, free because yeah. they worked there, but working for cheap, you know, working for hours and hours on end. I remember New Year's Eve, I was doing stuff at like one in the morning when some like dumb viral thing happened. And, you know, HuffPost does a lot of great work. Uh, BuzzFeed does a lot of great journalism. All these places do a lot of great stuff, but at the same time, the stuff that powers them in a lot of cases is, you know, the viral stuff, the stuff that is, you know, can be done by 23 year olds, 24 year olds who don't need to make a ton of money. And so I think that as these people got older, people who are my, you know, I'm 34, people in that kind of demographic who started with me, uh, they command higher salaries and they, you know, for their work, the great work they're doing. And now they're just going to be, you know, tossed aside for more 23 year olds who uh, can be, you know, uh, fooled with the, Kind of family experience that all these this kind of startups places kind of can offer uh, can offer uh, like, like the that.
0: nap pods. Yeah, the nap pods. Those.
4: Remember those? Yeah, free snacks. And, free and, uh, snacks. Say- they're
0: like great work environment. You walk right. into Bloomberg and it's like halls of snacks. The spot. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And then HuffPost was like, you can go take. Literally, there were nap pods where you yeah. could go into rooms and take naps and these like eggs. It was so weird
4: yeah and then if you get y'all you like 30 emails when you're back you miss five stories so you can never actually do it but um you know i, I agree with armand and like trump was such a driver of media attention yeah. and there's going to be other ways you know there's got to be other ways other outrages other things that people can do to uh you know draw attention draw clicks but the problem with that is again it's all based on clicks it's all based on those kind of metrics you, you, if you want to sell sponsorships because all the ad revenue going to google going to facebook going to amazon they own 63 percent of the ad market uh, online digitally and so if you want to kind of if there's a lot of reasons that are uh, media is in trouble, whether it's, you know, hedge funds, buying up newspapers and destroying them, whatnot. But in terms of digital, if you want to kind of save these websites, save these jobs, save these good journalists, you got to break up these ad monopolies. You got to break up Amazon. You got to break up Facebook. Yeah. You got to break up Google, because otherwise they're just going to keep sucking more and more of the money and pressing the market further and further down
0: and as we talk about on the show all the time even with our show the numbers have shifted so much covid uh, post presidential primary but also like the algorithm is and the, the, you know how many people have reported on this extensively i mean the woman who was in, in charge of of looking into the algorithm at google and the bias was fired when she uncovered oh your algorithm is is biased it's right. racist and it's sexist um, our audience is 75% male and for male hosts it's even higher
4: I mean Ben on Shapiro has, has four of the top stories all the time on Facebook yes, you know, and exactly. Franklin Graham like all of America is desperate to hear what Franklin Graham has to say right um like right. from the grave or maybe I don't even know so it's it's clear that like the the thumb is on the scale in addition to these monopolies and unless these things can be corrected I don't know what the future is I mean subscribe to my Substack, I guess does, yeah. does
0: Bernie do better than uh, Franklin Graham
3: I think it's also important to note that just trust in media is at an all time low. I don't know if it's ever gotten back up since like last peak was at like nine percent. So I I think people are looking for what they deem as authentic voices in the media landscape. Um, And I think Substack is a great new, you know, could be a revolutionary way to kind of fill that void for people. Um, but we're gonna ha- continue to have folks just kind of create their own echo chambers even more, unless like Jordan says, we have some kind of accountability for these big tech companies and um, these massive conglomerates. you
0: even with Substack, you have to build your own audience and that's not easy. Um, if you if you don't come, if you don't have a name, if you don't have a list, and even then the lists are, they die out after like four months, I'm giving you guys all the secrets, <laughs> you know? Right. It's not easy. Um, not at all,
4: you get people to pay even. Oof.
0: Exactly. You know, Jordan. <laughs> all right, Jordan Zacharin, speaking of, go check out Progressives Everywhere newsletter. Armand, we're all following your work. I I mean, if you're watching this show and you're not following Armand's work, thank you for what you do. Thank you for the explainer. Share them more so more people see them. Uh, thank you for joining. We love having you on for Wednesdays. <laughs> Thanks. All right, let's do some shout outs. We have Lee Levin, uh, who says, those of us who know Cuomo are not surprised by anything. Thanks for passing the word. Thanks for budget explanation. No problem. Prairie Fire Kowalski from Nebraska is sending some coffee love. Kyler Asado, ooh, do we think Joe Manchin will vote for the Pro Act, considering he comes from West Virginia? I can see it either way, to be honest. I can too. I think it's I think it's a great wedge issue for him. I think it's gonna be extremely embarrassing and hard to justify not voting for the Pro Act. Uh, Professor Harvey K is in the live chat. Thank you, Professor Harvey K, author of Thomas Paine and the Promise of America, and so many other books about FDR, making America great again. I don't have them in front of me, go check out his books. Uh, and thank you to mini doctors, mini docs and Mario for working the algorithms. Huge thanks to YouTube moderators uh, over there YouTube right now. <laughs> Bob, I can speak. Bob Seed, Choke in the Orb and Chuck Diesel. And at Twitch, You know, Twitch TV, Nomiki underscore show. Wait, what is it? The underscore Nomiki underscore show. I never get it right. Uh, Thanks to our moderators over there, Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Truth, Nightbot, Our Means, and Nug Wrangler. Thanks for keeping the chat rooms troll free. I would lose my mind. You do very special good work for us and send us your addresses at the keyshow at gmail.com so we can send you some swag all right everybody we will see you tomorrow same time same place uh in the meantime stay in solidarity